Chapter 8 We're sure it's really them. Semper stared at the hazy auger screen images being transmitted back by their Ford reconnaissance scoutcraft. The squadron of Org vessels was just beginning to clear the final fringes of the asteroid field. The smashed and gutted remains of several rocks drifted nearby, dead and derelict. The Org vessels moved past them, unheeding and uncaring. They had changed course since their first sighting, taking a vector which would take them away from the Imperial force and out towards the warp jump point on the system's distant outer edge. The consensus among the captains of the Imperial battle force was that the Orc commander was cutting and running, abandoning the rocks and their crews to their fate at the hands of the Imperial warship's gun batteries. As much as we can be, answered Ulante, in response to his captain's question. The energy signals from the Orc vessels are notoriously unpredictable, and the Greenskins have an irritating habit of tearing down and altering their ship's superstructure at any apparent random whim. Still, as far as we can tell, based on the information from survivors of the Orc pirate raids in this subsector, those floating junk piles we're looking at now are indeed the Wolverine and the Sabretooth. Semper looked again at the ship images, seeing the clear evidence of the trademark primitive and brutish Orc manufacturing process, seeing the rough patchwork of their thickly armoured skins, seeing the gun batteries bristling across their surfaces, seeing the outlandish green skin markings and glyphs burned or cut hundreds of metres high into the vessel's flanks. He had no idea what those markings might mean. Perhaps such primitive pagan symbols actually spelled out the vessel's true names, he supposed. There were Imperium adepts who could read and translate Orcish writing, he knew, oddly-minded scribes within the Ordo Xenos, or various obscure branches of the Administratum who dedicated their lives to the study of alien races. No captain of the Imperial Navy, however, would ever sully themselves with the knowledge of such things, and so the tacticians of Battlefleet Gothic had merely followed the traditional custom in such matters and assigned their own code names to the Orc vessels in question. Wolverine and Sabretooth, two suitably feral and savage names for the two Orc pirate vessels which, together with their attendant flotilla of escort vessels, had been preying upon the unprotected Imperial convoys throughout this subsector for months now, each time evading retribution by retreating back into their rock-protected lair here in the Matha system. The cleansing and securing of this system was important, yes, but more important still was the destruction of the two Orc cruisers. If they were allowed to escape, then no doubt in a few months' time, Lord Admiral Ravensburg would be forced to reallocate more precious resources to clear out the next empty star system to be occupied and quickly infested by these same Orc pirates. Open comm channels hissed in empty expectation, as Semper's fellow captains waited on him to decide the deployment of his forces for this next final and vital stage of the battle. Graf, Orlock and Fearsome with me. We'll also need Triton and Vanguard Squadron with us to take care of their escorts and provide supporting firepower. Drakenfels, I need you here to keep those damn rocks occupied. Manon and Paladin Squadron will assist you and be seconded to your command. You'll also have attack craft support from my Furies and the fighter and bomber squadrons from Bellatis and Brenniger. No heroics, Drakenfels he added dryly. Just make them keep their distance. There'll be plenty of time to deal with them properly after we've run Wolverine and its packmates to ground. The reply over the crackling comm channel was typical of Ramus, a dry, barking laugh, a scathing, impatient edge to his machine-modulated voice, hiding, for those who didn't know the illustrious and irrisible captain of the Drakenfels, a deep-held respect for those rare few he considered worthy of his friendship. Ha! I see you're thinking like a real Commodore already, Leoten. The young bloods get to chase glory and promotion while the old war horses like me can only be entrusted to keep taking pot shots at a few floating rocks. Got to see some things haven't changed yet in glorious Battlefleet Gothic. He laughed. The sound turning into a weird electronic whining sound as the Adeptus Mechanicus-constructed voice box in his rebuilt throat struggled to interpret the sounds of human laughter. Good hunting, Macarius. 
The master of the Drakenfels added in a more serious tone. The traditional good luck message between brother captains of Battlefleet Gothic being too much of a sacred custom for even Erwin Ramus to ignore or make sport of. And to you, Drakenfels, replied Semper, signalling for his helm crew to bring them around to their new battle course. In normal terms, an hour does not seem such a long time. In terms of space combat, a lot can happen in a short hour. In a naval battle, an hour can seem an eternity. Fearsome drifted somewhere in the mid-distance off the Macarius's starboard bow. The Dominator-class cruiser's command tower was gone, sheared right off by an orc ramship attack, and a salvo of giant macro-cannon shells had stitched lines of catastrophic ruin across the cruiser's flanks. Its main hull section was shattered and broken, with an area fully three-quarters of a kilometre long gouged away and missing, as if a giant pair of jaws had simply ripped away a portion of the vessel. The crews of the other vessels would not have believed it possible, had they not seen it with their own eyes. The battle squadron's comm channels had been filled with a babble of pleading, desperate voices from aboard the fearsome. The voices of crew still trapped aboard her in airtight compartments, and begging for rescue before they suffocated to death, or before the wrecked and burning vessel exploded or began to break up. Semper had ordered that all comlinks to the fearsome be cut. Knowing the damaging effects such pitiful transmissions could have on the minds of a ship's crew during time of battle. The survivors trapped aboard the fearsome would have to wait until the battle was over, until rescue craft could be sent to sift amongst the wreckage of the vanquished cruiser. In the meantime, only the Emperor would hear their pleas for help. One of the fearsome's killers drifted not too far away. Wolverine was a fragmenting hulk, with little left to suggest the armoured and heavily armed leviathan it had been less than an hour before. The Megarius' Starhawk bomber squadrons, held back from battle with the rocks for just this moment, had relentlessly harried and pursued the orc monstrosity, targeting its drive systems and leaving it crippled and limping, unable to outrun the gun sights of the Imperial cruiser's weapons batteries. The fearsome's Nova cannon, combined with the prow lances of the Triton and the torpedoes and weapons batteries of Macarius and Graf Orlok, had reduced it to just so much scattered space debris. The retaliation from the Sabretooth and its escorts had been swift and brutal. Triton lay somewhere far to the Macarius's stern. The light cruiser's engine drives pounded into slag by the Sabretooth's macro-cannon batteries. Graf Orlok was closer, still nominally in battle, but with the metal-jawed prow of an orc escort vessel buried snout deep into its forward portside. Orc warriors, huge and savage, wild and merciless, had poured into the interior of the Lunar-class cruiser in their hundreds, and the last comm channel transmission from Captain Von Blotcher had indicated heavy fighting in his ship's forward sections, with his gun batteries left unmanned as he was forced to withdraw their crews to join the shipboard combat. Graf Orlok, for the moment at least, was out of the battle, leaving the Macarius to face the terrifying power of the Sabretooth on its own. Van Dyer's off, I don't believe it. The bloody thing's powering up and coming round again. Alerted by the incredulous voice of one of his gunnery officers, Semper looked at the image on the August screen, sharing the man's disbelief. The Sabretooth was a wreck, its hull riddled with blast craters and torpedo wounds. Somehow, though, it continued to fight. Semper could only secretly marvel at the very awkward inability to admit defeat, as, in complete defiance of all the odds, the vessel's commander managed to fire up manoeuvring thrusters and to man the gun batteries. The vessel swung round in space, its side batteries sending out a wave of fire to crash explosively against the Macarius's shields and hull. As it did, Semper could see the horrific damage so far inflicted on it. Through the gaping holes in its armoured skin, fires could clearly be seen burning inside its decks and compartments. As it continued to swing round, Semper could see the starfield behind it, Visible through the holes, blasted clean through its body. Van Dyer's oaf, breathed Alante, standing beside his captain. What keeps them going? Sheer bloody-mindedness, Mr. Alante, replied Semper. You can't convince a greenskin it's truly dead until you hold up its severed head and show it its own bullet-riddled body. The Macarius's own gun batteries replied, 
blowing away more fragments of the unshielded target's hull. But still, the monster kept on moving. The dark maw of its prow mouth gaped open in threat, and Semper had a sudden and terrifying vision of the fate of the fearsome. Engage, portside thrusters! Hard to starboard! Get us out of reach of that damn tractor beam! There was that familiar, sickening lurch in the pit of the stomach, as the ship swung round and the artificial gravity generators lagged a second or two behind in readjusting to the vessel's new orientation. A fervour, this time reassuring shudder, ran through the ship as its engines fired up, taking it out of harm's way. The sense of relief amongst the command deck crew was almost palpable. The elation did not last long. Sempo was thrown to the ground as the deck beneath his feet vanished from under him. There was a crash from high above, and the jagged spear of a great splintered stalactite of machinery crashed into the flagstoned floor several metres away, crushing and killing a tech priest and a junior ordnance officer. There was a scream of tortured metal from all around them, and the whole ship shook under a continuous series of violent, pounding impacts. Klaxons and warning alarms reverberated from dozens of points throughout the ship. Leerton Semper climbed to his feet, wiping away the blood from his face from a flying metal sliver thrown out by the falling machinery. There was a dry, foul taste in his mouth and a sensation of sick dread in his heart. His ship, he knew, was now in the deadliest of perils. The internal calm channels were filled with panicked damage reports from the intolerable strain now being put on the ship's innermost structural integrity. Hull breach, gun deck free, requesting permission to evacuate. Fire on deck 18, 19 and 21. Got a hull breach here on forward compartment, deck 16, ceiling blast doors now. Engineer him, serious coolant fail on reactor Tarsius, engage in emergency coolant systems. Open the blast doors! We're trapped in here! Emperor's mercy! We can't get out! Semper gathered his wits. His ship was in pain and could be destroyed any minute. Mr. Alante, what's our situation? He barked. Alante's face was grim. Definitely still some life in Sabertooth, sir. It sunk its teeth in, and now it's trying to take a bite of us. A large bite, it would seem. Semper cursed. A tractor beam one of the few high technologies which the orcs had managed to master for their own use, and being orcs, that use was as a weapon, of course. The Macarius was caught by the invisible grip of a huge and powerful orc tractor beam weapon mounted in the saber-tooth's mouth-like prow. The tractor beam wasn't powerful enough to bodily drag or hurl the Macarius through space, as the orcs had done with the asteroid missiles which had been directed at the Graf Orlok, and which had smashed apart one of Vanguard Squadron's Cobra destroyers, but it was still easily capable of destroying the ship. The powerful, gravetic forces of a tractor beam, recklessly manipulated in the right way, could be used to crush or tear apart a target, or at least a portion of a larger target. That was what was happening to the Macarius now. The tractor beam had seized a large hull section, and was attempting to tear it free from the rest of the ship, Less than half an hour ago, Semper and the crew of the Macarius had seen the fearsome ripped apart by Sabertooth's savage tractor beam jaws. Now the same thing was happening to them. Semper could sense his ships starting to tear apart. Metal buckled. Armoured hull plates ruptured. Power conduits exploded or failed. The Macarius screamed in torment at the intolerable strain being put upon its metal body. Maxim Barossa heard the deep, echoing boom from somewhere deep within the ship's interior, and felt the decking lurch beneath his feet. He uttered a coarse Stranivar curse as the unexpected and violent movement threw off his arm. A bolt shell, which should have taken off the head of the figure at the other end of the catwalk, instead ruptured a steam pipe several metres wide of its target. The man, one of Sijara's thugs, turned and began to bring his own weapon, a battered old stub pistol, Sajara had a tendency to skimp on arming his boys with the proper heavy stuff, Maxim knew, up to bear, aiming it at Maxim. Dumb bastard, sneered Maxim, putting a bolt shell through his chest. Should have run when you had the chance! Another violent impact shook the ship. Maxim had to grab onto the handrail to prevent himself keeling over the side of the walkway and into the guts of the lower engineering levels, several decks below. Someone... A few decks above wasn't so fortunate, and the screaming body plunged down the metal chasm, which ran almost the full height of the ship. 
through 22 decks of machinery-crammed engineering sections. There was an explosion from somewhere down below, followed by the fiery rush of released plasma and the screams of several men caught in the blast. Maxim grinned. The ship was clearly taking a pounding from something, but he wasn't worried. Whatever kind of scrap they got into, old Captain Semper would see them through it. Of that, Maxim had little doubt. And besides, he thought, still grinning, all this internal damage meant casualties, and casualties meant plenty of opportunity to cover up the evidence of his own private little battle right here. There were shouts. He recognised the voice of Galba amongst them, and the sound of more gunfire from through the maze of machinery ahead of him. Maxim checked the load on his bolt pistol and moved off towards the location, homing in on the familiar and welcome sounds of conflict. The sounds of his ship's distress continued, coming to him both over the command deck's comm channels and reverberating through the very substance of the ship. Semper knew that Macarius was only moments away from suffering irreparable damage. Helm! All ahead full! Channel all available power to engines and get us out of this thing's grasp! No! It was the voice of Magus Castaborus, the most senior servant of the machine god aboard the Macarius, who had just arrived on the command deck, surrounded by his customary train of tech-priest acolytes. Even with destruction looming, the officers and crewmen present stared in complete disbelief at this unforgivable challenge to a captain's authority here on his own command deck. Semper stared at the impassive gold-masked face of the senior tech-priest, he had little fondness for the cold and aloof Castaborus. Few aboard the Macarius did, but he had no doubt of the man's abilities or his unsurpassed knowledge of the workings and capabilities of the vessel to which he had so far dedicated more than eighty years of his machine-god-extended life. Explain, snapped Semper, as the sound of the ship's torment grew louder all around them. The tech-priest spoke quickly but calmly, his voice offering little in the way of accent or human emotion. If we engage the engines, we will only hasten our own destruction, struggling in one direction against the force pulling at us from the other and tearing the ship apart in the process. However, there is another way. The tech-priest's last words were almost drowned out by the tortured shriek of metal on metal. Semper didn't hesitate knowing they likely only had seconds. The Magus has command, he told his officers, doing what many captains would consider the unthinkable, even under such dire circumstances. Castaborus set to work immediately. Engage port and starboard thrusters. Anchor us in space. Channel all available power to the defence shields and set the shield frequency to four points above the norm. He broke off, favouring the officers of the Macarius with a rare explanation of his methods. Studies have shown that changes in shield frequency can interfere with gravitic fields of tractor beam weapons. I have never seen it done myself, but the great Magus Technicus Sulpucius the Precious proved in his studies in M39 that Ramus Nida exploded in anger. Look at the shield output readouts, man! You're overloading the generators! And now you talk of studies and tell us that we've put the safety of the ship in the hands of the theories of some long-dead damn machine god prayer babbler who none of us have ever heard of! Castaborus looked at Semper, directing his reply to him and ignoring Nida. The shields will hold, Captain. I know this vessel. I tend to its workings. I commune with its machine mind. I offer prayers to its sacred spirit. I have faith in its strength. And so too should you and your men. The violent shaking took on a different timbre now. A tone of slightly anxious relief crept into the tech priest's voice. It's working. The shields are interfering with the tractor beam. They're boosting the tractor beam's strength, trying to keep their grip on us. He stepped back, taking firm hold of a nearby instrumentation panel. I recommend you and your men hold on to the nearest fixed surface, Captain. The venerable Magus's studies suggest that the final moment of uncoupling may be hazardous to a vessel's human crew components. There was a final scream of metal, matched by the shriek of energy generators overloading to near destruction. Then, suddenly, the ship was moving, tumbling through space, rolling almost 30 degrees on its port side, its artificial gravity field crucially lagging several seconds behind in adjusting to the ship's radical change of orientation as the Macarius was brutally expelled free of the tractor beam's deadly grasp. 
Castaboras's warning was well-founded. For a second, Semper found himself in freefall, falling laterally across the command deck, before the firm grip of Ramus Nida found him and pulled him to safety. Semper nodded his thanks and hauled himself to his feet. The command deck was still filled with the sound of warning alarms and comnet distress calls. If anything, the flood of damage reports and distress calls had increased as the ship took stock of the cost of that last near-disastrous manoeuvre. Still, Semper knew that at least now his ship was safe from imminent destruction. His orc opponents, however, had different ideas. The August screen was cracked, the image on it temporarily flickering and indistinct, but Semper could still make out the flame-wreathed shape of the orc cruiser as it laboriously swung round in space in pursuit of them, presenting its lethal tractor beam more towards them once more. It's still after us, shouted a young surveyor adept in near panic. It's powering up its tractor beam for another attack. No, it's not, said Semper in determination, looking towards Remus Nida. Mr. Nida, what do we have in the way of torpedoes? Nida checked the information on the data slate handed to him by one of his junior officers. It made for grim reading. Only two in the pipe, Captain. It's a hell of a mess down there, I'm told. That last jolt really shook up our torpedo room. I got two tubes out of action. Half my loading crew's dead or injured, and Emperor only knows how long before we can get the other two tubes loaded and ready to fire. Semper looked at the spec screen, checking the telemetry data scrolling down the sides of the screen and making his own personal calculations about the angle of fire, the closing distance between the two vessels, the current battle status of each of them, and the likely outcome of any head-on battle between them. The answer he came up with was not much to his liking, but he was a captain in his divine emperor's navy, and so it was not in his nature to show any sign of fear or weakness on his own command deck and before the eyes of his expectant crew. Two torpedoes will be more than enough, he said, in a voice filled with more confidence than he felt. Helm, bring us around. Ordnance, prepare to fire as soon as you have a good angle of shot. The ship's manoeuvring thrusters fired again, bringing it round to face the oncoming sabre-tooth. To the watching crew on the command deck, it seemed to take the prow an eternity to swing through the sixty-degree angle which would bring the ship round towards the enemy ship. All the time, the sabre-tooth came on. In the minds of some of the more nervous crewmen aboard the command deck of the Macarius, the orc cruisers opened more with the tractor-beam weapon hidden inside, seemed to gape open to swallow up the entire ship. Light flared within that moor. Power levels are building, reported a surveyor adept. They'll be activating that thing any second now. In position, targeting range. Angle is good, reported an ordnance officer a second later. Fire torpedoes! The words were barely out of Semper's mouth before he heard the dull roar of the torpedoes release from their prow silos. The missiles streaked through space towards their target. Light flared stronger between the saber-toothed jaws. Aboard the Macarius, they felt the first shifting lurch as the tractor beam's gravity field once again took hold of the ship. The torpedoes shot between the metal jaws. For a moment, it almost appeared as if the saber-tooth had actually swallowed them, and even the most resolute of veteran Navy officers watching felt a moment of sickening fear, as it seemed that almost nothing could destroy the vessel. Saber-tooth's head exploded. It keeled over, tumbling away through space, a series of secondary explosions gutting what was left of its shattered innards. Double impact, target destroyed recorded the surveyor adept. Scan the area, ordered Semper. Surveyors and augers to maximum. Search for any remaining enemy vessels. He waited impatiently while his orders were carried out. Servitors and tech priests attuning themselves to the massive flood of information gathered by the ship's electronic senses and sifting through it in search of any further threats. Finally, the answer came back from Hito Elante the second-in-command confirming the scan findings relayed onto the screen of his control lectern. No enemy vessels found within surveyor range. The garden is clear, Captain. For the first time in hours, Semper allowed himself to relax. The battle for the Matha system was over. Chapter 9 
The Macarius lay inert in space, tending to its wounds. Vacuum-suited work crews crawled across the outside of its hull, inspecting the most recently inflicted battle damage, and making what immediate repairs they could. Hull breaches were resealed, using whatever materials were available, including the salvaged remains of other vessels destroyed in the battle. Molten metal salves were applied to the wounds and the ship's armoured flanks, adding further to the ancient patchwork of scars which criss-crossed its centuries-old hull. Inside the ship, too, the necessary post-battle rituals of damage assessment and repair were well underway, as was the grim task of recovering and counting the dead and wounded. Ship surgeons and their orderlies were at work throughout the vessel, operating a strict and merciless triage system on the wounded men brought to them. The walking wounded would have to wait until after the battle for any kind of attention, and the crew decks and dormitories were filled with the moans and screams of the injured. The only relief from the pain at present would be whatever quantities of illicit narc stims they had hidden away or could beg from their comrades. The more seriously wounded lay piled up in corridors and compartments which now served as makeshift field surgeries. Surgeons and orderlies moved amongst them, dispensing crude and swift battlefield surgery with las cutters, stim packs, clamps and flesh cauterizers. More than one surgeon also carried a chainsword, were their blades already clotted with the gory evidence of the number of emergency battlefield surgeries they had already carried out. The dying, the ones who were beyond help or for whom the surgeons could not spare the additional time needed to tend to their more grievous injuries, were handed silently over to armsmen wearing blood-soaked overalls, who carried them away out of sight of those of the wounded, still waiting to learn their own fate under the strictures of the surgeon's system. A quick and mercifully intended piece of knife work by the armsmen, and possibly a few mumbled words of prayer from their killers, and then the bodies were deposited amongst the growing pile of dead, where teams of sweating, gore-covered ratings carried them in relays to the nearest airlock chamber. Get a move on! We haven't got all day! cursed Petty Officer Borsham, wondering why he always seemed to get detailed with this duty after a battle. His words and the angry blow he casually directed at the nearest of them with the wooden haft of his billy club, spurred on the ratings under his supervision, and they heaved the last few bodies in through the open airlock door. Vorshan looked at the mound of corpses filling the airlock chamber, and decided that enough was enough. Right, that'll do for this one. Stand back while I seal her up. Me warned, casually kicking a corpse's dangling arm back over the other side of the rim of the airlock hatch. He reached for the manual release lever, which would seal the heavy blast door, and seconds later release the outer door and expel the gory contents of the airlock chamber out into space. Hold on, Vorsham, you lazy orson. Time and room for a few more yet. Vorsham turned in anger towards the latecomers, ready to take out the worst of his temper on whoever dared speak to him like that. The intended volley of curses died stillborn on his lips when he caught sight of the uniform and rank sash of a chief petty officer. The fury in him turned to fear when he saw the familiar and powerfully muscled figure which filled out that uniform. Maxim Barossa came up the corridor with a group of his picked cutthroats, all of them carrying bodies over their shoulders. Chief Barossa, said Vorshan, the surprise in his voice hopefully disguising the fear in there too. I didn't know you and your men were working this section. You know me, Vorshan, grinned Maxim. Always willing to lend a hand, anywhere I'm needed, and always willing to help our dear departed shipmates on their final journey to the Emperor. Maxim turned to his men, indicating the open airlock. Right, lads, in they go, and be gentle about it, and mind that you treat these fallen heroes with all the respect they deserve. His men laughed and threw their burdens into the airlock to join the other bodies piled there. Maxim went last, lobbing the corpse he was carrying halfway across the airlock with a single shrug of his shoulders, and Vorshan tried hard to ignore the fact that the corpse made a distinct moaning, sobbing sound when it landed. Maxim turned towards him, a dangerous glint of unspoken threat in his eyes. Right, petty officer Vorshan, off you go now. Me and my boys will take care of this. I expect you've still got work to do on the next deck down. Right, Chief, mumbled Vorshan, 
all too glad of the chance to get away from whatever it was the big hive world ganger was up to. Maxim waited until the men were out of sight before he turned and looked into the airlock. The terrified eyes of ship's engineer second grade Tyrus Sejara stared back at him, wide with fear and silent, desperate pleading. It had been a fine piece of work to capture his old rival alive, Maxim thought. Sejara was gagged and had his hands and feet bound with wire, while the neat little paralysing cocktail of narc subs which Maxim had mixed up for him had kept him quiet and subdued while they hauled him and the rest of his dead crew all the way from the engineer room to here, taking the longer sub-deck levels to avoid the prowling likes of Kyogen and his spies. Sajara's jaws worked feebly. Then Maxim realised he was trying to say something beneath the strip of plasty seal fixed over his mouth and bonded to the flesh of his face. Maxim congratulated himself at his skill in mixing together the ingredients of the cocktail. He had wanted Sajara subdued. It would have been awkward if the corpse had started struggling or making noises during the journey here. But he didn't want the sneaky bastard so doped up that he wouldn't be able to appreciate what Maxim had planned for him. Especially when Maxim had gone to so much effort to get everything organised. So now the drug was wearing off, which, as far as Maxim was concerned was pretty much perfect timing. He looked in silence at Sajara for a few moments, allowing the knowledge of where he was and what was about to happen to him to sink in to the engineer's drug-dulled consciousness. Sajara looked around him and started to thrash about in terror, squirming, bound and helpless on top of the bloody heap of corpses. Maxim grinned and looked him straight in the eye. Winner takes all, Sajara. But no odd feelings, right? After all, it's just business. Nothing personal. Maxim pulled the lever. His hand had been resting on. The airlock hatch slid shut with an echoing metallic clang. Inside the airlock, Sajara tried to scream, but the sound, already muffled by the gag across his mouth, was swept away in the loudest scream of the sudden rushing of air as the outer hatch swung open. And the rocks? We estimate sixteen destroyed or crippled, Captain, answered Elante. The remainder have retreated deeper into the safety of the asteroid field, where accurate surveyor scans are problematic, to say the least. We can send attack craft reconnaissance patrols in there to find them, but it's the Greenies territory, and they'll be waiting for us. It'll be a damned easy way for us to lose some good pilots. Semper sighed and sat back behind his desk, thoughtfully drumming his fingers on the large orc skull. He kept there as a ceremonial trophy of his first ever boarding action and taste of close quarters combat. As ever, victory was no assurance of the end to one's problems. The battle was won, but the full cleansing of the Mather system would take many months yet. As much as over a year, perhaps, if his officers informed judgment that there might be as many as twenty other rocks lurking undetected elsewhere in the system was accurate. They would all have to be found and destroyed. Every one of them, if Battlefleet Gothic was ever to declare the matter system finally purged of orc infestation. Ulante politely cleared his throat, and Semper realised that he had been pondering too long. The senior carder of his ship's officers stood assembled in his captain's study, and they were waiting for their captain to give them their next orders. Ulante, Nida, Mela, and Kor Sebata, the ship's master of arms, stood to attention before him. Beside them stood senior adept Voltiman, one of Castaboris's tech priest lieutenants. Castaboris himself was inspecting the damage to some of the Macarius's more esoteric but vital control systems, and, in acknowledgement of the Magus's recent actions in saving the ship from tractor beam destruction, Semper had diplomatically granted his request to send an emissary in his stead to the meeting called in the captain's study. The tall, regal figure of ship's navigator Solon Cassander, and the dark-robed figure of ship's chief astropath, Adept Rapavna, stood towards the rear of the dark, low-ceilinged room, voluntarily removing themselves from the others in discreet understanding of the discomfort many Navy officers felt in the presence of psychers. The tall, imposing figure of Commissar Cobra Kyogen, 
lounged against a wall decorated with crystal-framed images of ancient star charts and tattered scrolls of battle honours once centuries ago by previous incumbents of the captain's chair which Semper was now sitting in. Kyajan's position and casual stance was deliberate and meaningful. He did not stand to attention like the other Navy officers because the captain's otherwise unchallengeable authority did not apply in the case of a ship's commissar. He stood apart from the others because he was here voluntarily and not at Semper's orders. So far, he had said nothing. His task was to observe, to watch and remember everything said and done by the Macarius's most senior command carder. His holstered bolt pistol lay across the front of his immaculate black serge uniformed coat. It was the only sidearm permitted into a captain's chambers, and it was a clear unspoken reminder of the power of life and death which a ship's commissar held over everyone in the room. Each officer present had made his after-battle report. Now they awaited their captain's orders on what they and his vessel would do next. We leave the hulks where they are, Semper told them. They don't have warp drive capability, so they aren't going anywhere from here. We've accomplished what we came here to do with the destruction of Sabretooth and Wolverine and their escorts. And we've driven the remaining Orc presence in the Mather system back into retreat. This system will be cleansed of any remaining Greenskin presence, but it will be the task of others to finish what we have begun here. Lord Admiral Ravensburg and Battlefleet Command, in their glorious wisdom, have decided that there are other duties elsewhere which demand our immediate attention. The sense of barely restrained relief from his officers was almost palpable. While none of them balked at the prospect of battle with the Emperor's enemies, neither did they much relish the idea of the long and tedious work involved in rooting out the remnants of the orc infestation of Matha, especially as it would keep them away from the crooks of the real war in the Gothic sector. Typically, it was Ulante who was first to ask what everyone else was thinking. Then you've been in touch with Port Moore, sir. I have, answered Semper, indicating towards the figure of the astropath. Adept Repavna has conveyed my battle report to Battlefleet Command, and we have received word back from them in return. A battle squadron comprising of the Ark Imperial, two more squadrons of Cobras, and a force of troop transports and warp-toed defence monitors is already in transport to the Matha system. They will arrive in several days and set up in orbit around the system's third innermost planet, which will become the home base for a rigorous scouring of any remaining greenskin presence in the system. Volante nodded. It was a good plan. The Ark Imperial was one of the old supercarriers of the now defunct Majestic class of battleships. Its worn-out warp engines were almost past the point of final repair, and the journey through the warp to the Matha system might be its last. But it would make a fine centre of operations for the purposes of this mission. The Orc rocks had proven highly vulnerable to attack craft assault, and the Ark Imperial specialist reconnaissance craft and the massed wings of bombers would be ideal for seeking out and destroying the things. Then what are our orders, Captain? ventured Castaborus's stand-in. The ship's sacred machine spirit is in pain. Urgent repairs are needed and sacred rites of reconsecration, and all these things can only be done in an orbital dry dock. Semper held up his open hand, cutting off the tech priest. Our orders, effective immediately, are to make way at once to the Ramillies Starfort Stygian in the Elysium system. Drakenfels and Graf Orlok are to accompany us. We'll apparently have several days there to make good any battle damage and recrew and re-equip before the commencement of our next mission. Semper saw the look of dismay on the tech priest's face. Have faith in the spirit of the Macarius, brother adept. She's been injured before and no doubt she'll be injured again, but she's a strong, stout-hearted old maid, and I haven't seen anything in these damage reports to suggest she won't be able to make it through whatever's ahead of us. Then Battlefield Command told you what that mission is, Captain. The inquiry came from Alante. Semper hesitated a moment before answering. All I have been told is that we are to wait at Stygian until the arrival of the Bernardo Gour. It will apparently dock with Stygian, and a group of passengers will disembark from her and transfer over to us. What our mission and next destination will be, and exactly who these passengers are, 
and Battlefleet Command have not seen fit to tell us. There was a pause, while the others in the room digested this information. Nida, shifting uncomfortably, was the first to break the silence. The Bernardo Gur, you say, sir? That's the vessel we're to rendezvous with. Semper gave a tight smile, knowing what his Master of Ordnance was really asking. Yes, Mr. Nida, you heard me correctly, and you know just as well as I do which branch of the Imperial Service that particular vessel belongs to. His smile grew tighter as he looked his officers in the eye. We'd better tidy the place up and have the Macarius looking its best for the arrival of our distinguished passengers, since it would appear, gentlemen, that we'll soon be playing host to the representatives of His Divine Majesty's most sacred and noble Inquisition. Minutes later, and Semper had dismissed the other men and sent them to oversee the necessary preparations for the ship's departure from the Matha system. All of them, except Solon Cassander, whom Semper had requested to stay behind, ostensibly to consult with him on the safest and quickest course through the Immaterium to their new destination. The Macarius captain had been afraid that Kyogen would stay to observe, and had been secretly relieved when the stern and silent ship's commissar had left with the others. Kyogen, a native Stranaverois, was investigating reports of some minor but troubling incident of typical below-decks mayhem, and was keen to begin. Semper had not paid much attention to the details, something about a gunfight in the engineer room section, and possibly another one elsewhere too, and the disappearance of several engineering crew, and had been only too glad to see the back of the man. Semper sat at his desk again, with Cassander seated on the other side facing him. Semper did not consider himself to be superstitious. In many respects, he was the hard-nosed and practical-minded scholar-progenium-trained naval man, and would not wish his crew to know that from time to time, when he felt it necessary, it was his secret custom to consult the psychic visions of the Macarius's navigator. The mutant warp sight of many navigators could see into the future as well as into the Immaterium. Solon Cassander was one so gifted, and now, as Semper watched, the navigator reached up to remove the gold-woven headband which he wore across his forehead. Semper tried not to stare at the unnatural eye now revealed there, larger than any normal human eye, and set into the centre of the man's forehead. The eye, the trademark of the Imperium-sanctioned and almost priceless mutation of the navigator's strain of genetically modified humanity which allowed the mighty ships of the Imperium of Mankind to traverse the galaxy, stared back at him, eerie and unblinking. Semper knew that its mystic gaze was fixed not on him, but on those images which it saw reflected across the flickering surface of the sub-Imperian, a realm which to navigators was real and all around them, but the reality and shape of which eluded the understanding and sight of mere normal human consciousness and vision. Tell me what lies ahead of us, Master Cassander. Tell me what you see out there in the Immaterium. Cassander closed his two normal eyes, frowned in concentration, and cast his gaze out into the void at his captain's command. The frown grew deeper as he focused his concentration. Semper fancied that he saw something, brief, indistinct images of something, flicker across the milky surface of the navigator's third eye, although it may only have been a trick of the low light in the room. Finally, Cassander heaved a sigh and opened his two normal eyes again, his third eye closing indistinctively at the same time. He secured the bindings back into place on his forehead and leaned forward to take a glass of wine which Semper proffered to him, flavoured with silver flecks of the psychoactive substance commonly known as spook. All navigators, even those seconded to lifetime service within the armed forces of the Imperium, belonged to the Navis Nobilite, the great aristocratic houses and merchant guilds which so dominated the Senatorum Imperialis and even commanded a place amongst the High Council of Terror itself. And Semper had not met one of their kind yet who did not enjoy a few expensive and aristocratic creature comforts. Semper waited patiently while his navigator drank fully half the glass and composed his thoughts. What do you see, Master Cassander? asked Semper when he was sure the man was ready to speak. The navigator's voice was low and atonal, 
carrying no trace of an accent or homeworld origin. He was a typical member of his class, reared in seclusion from the rest of inferior humanity, and owing his loyalty solely to the Emperor and his Navigator clan, rather than any one world or region. As you know, Captain, the gift of future sight is never precise or fully controllable. Sometimes the warp shuns its face to those with the sight, and the vision path to the future is blocked. Then we see nothing and have no more knowledge of what lies ahead than any other human. Semper felt a surge of disappointment. Then you saw nothing. Yes and no, if that can be possible, answered the navigator. The path was open, but I still do not understand what it was I saw. I saw the future, Leoton, but I did not recognise its shape. It was... He broke off, nervously draining the rest of his wine, setting the empty glass down and looking across at Semper, his normal expression of calm expectancy replaced with one of troubled nervousness. When he spoke again, it was in a voice barely more than a troubled whisper. Shadows, Leoton. I looked into the future, and all I found were shadows. The Harlequin troop had been on the move for days now. Travelling by some of the webway's most secret and hidden routes, the full extent of which were known only to the oldest and most venerable of their kind. They stopped only when truly necessary, eating on the move, and even sleeping too, taking it in turns to use the Laia Dithia, discipline of mastery of mind and body, the mind resting while the body continued its crude automaton functions. They left the webway only when necessary too, entering the real universe at several different points over the last few days, transferring between one hidden portal and another, when there was no other choice, moving swiftly and silently across the surface of worlds which were many light years apart in real universe terms, but only a day or two's webway travel from each other. They did not speak unless necessary, and when they did, they never used another's name aloud. The walls of the webway were thin, and there were things swimming hungrily in the psychic ether beyond those walls, things which prowled eagerly for any clue of power or knowledge over the living, mortal inhabitants of the real universe. Even silence could be used as a weapon against the things which waited for them in the realm of the Immaterium. The troop was cautious and alert on every step of their journey. Many of their race thought the webway safe from the dangers which threatened them in the real universe, but those who followed the path of the Laughing God knew better. They knew that the darkest and most secret roots of the webway often hid terrible things, and that, even if many of their race could never admit it, there were those other than the scattered Eldar of the Craftworlds and the Exodite worlds who knew how to find and access the secret roots into the main webway. The Ather, leader of the troop, suddenly froze in alert, as the silent mind-speech warning from the Morgarash scout ahead of them echoed through his consciousness. The rest of the troop reacted instantly to the mutually shared warning, dancing into position, nimble hands unhesitatingly finding and drawing forth scabbarded wraith-bone swords and holstered shuriken pistols. The shifting... Mystic stuff of the walls of the webway tunnel flickered and pulsed with the reflected rainbow dazzle of activated Dithadi hollowsuits. The troop tensed, ready for whatever threat the deaf justice scout had sensed ahead of them. The Athair flashed an urgent mind-speech query to the black-armoured scout, demanding more information. There was a worrying pause before he received back a confused melange of the scout's surface thoughts. He sensed doubt and fear in the deaf jester's mind, and a growing feeling of awe and disbelief. A matching ripple of fear passed through the thoughts of the rest of the troop. What, they wondered, could bring fear into the minds of one such as a Morgarach Harlequin, who bodily assumed the role of death itself in the troop's mime pantheon? In a flash of mind-speech, the troop saw all that the scout saw, and instantly they knew and understood the reasons for his fear. As one, before even the Athea could issue the mind-speech command, they dropped to the ground, sheaving their weapons, bowing their heads, and kneeling in respectful abeyance to the entity now coming along the webway passage towards them. 
They felt the heat of its passing, heard the heavy tread of its feet, recoiled in mental shock as they brushed minds with it and met the furnace fire of its thoughts. They remained thus as the entity moved unseen amongst them, only daring to raise their heads once it had safely passed them by. It did not acknowledge their salute. It did not even acknowledge that it had ever been aware of their existence as it moved amongst them, its burning gaze fixed only on some remote and unknown destination. The Athir was the first to raise his head, not daring to look behind him, but still seeing the evidence of the entity's passing, a trail of fiery footprints, too large to belong to any mortal creature, burned into the supposedly immutable stuff of the webway tunnel's floor. The troop exchanged nervous, frightened glances, none daring to share their thoughts with any other, but all of them dwelling on the same terrible, awe-filled knowledge. The burning god walked abroad, unbidden and uncontrolled, the deadly fury which was the avatar of the bloody-handed god was awake, and death and catastrophe surely followed in its wake. Well, it's uh, starting to heat up. I left a space for you to laugh. Thank you all for watching. Uh, thank you all for the very kind messages uh, I recently received regarding my, uh, my good news. Um, but due to that, uh, if you're watching this, I got, yeah, so I've got some, I've got some family issues and some, uh, some, you know, real life stuff coming up. Uh, very good stuff, very, very happy stuff, but, uh, it might interrupt the frequency of my uploads. I'll try not to, yeah, I, I've just got things going on, lads. I apologize, but it's all good. It's all, it's all good stuff. Um, it's just, you know, real life sort of, uh, comes first, you know, what I mean, sort of, it does come first, unfortunately. But that's just the way things are. Thank you all, though, for very much. It means a lot to get so many very kind messages from people. It's 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 always very surprising that so many people enjoy the stuff. Um, I'll be back with, as soon as I can with more stuff. I do hope you enjoyed this, and uh, things are about to start heating up again. But this orc battle was pretty pretty sick. I've, you know, I think that was pretty good. And uh, yeah, we'll carry on with the rest of the story. And uh, yeah, sorry, I'm exhausted. It's been a busy time. And like I say, I'll try and get back thing, to things as soon as possible. Thank you ever so much again. And again, seriously, thank you ever so much for the kind messages. I really appreciate it. I did see all of them, I think. Uh, so that was that was lovely. That was really special. Thank you. And uh, I'll be back again with more stuff soon. Um, please do give a like and comment in the comment section. That all really helps with the video. And to everybody supporting the channel directly, uh, your names are scrolling by here. You lads and, and ladies. I really appreciate it, and uh, thank you all ever so much. Again, just got a bit of a... I might have some issues with time, my available time coming up soon, but I will do my best to ensure that you get things regularly and consistently as ever. So, yeah, thank you all again. Thank you for your uh, kind words and your patience. I appreciate it, and I'll be back again soon. And, uh, yeah, have a good one. And, yeah, it won't be too long. It's just, like, I might be down to, like, making one video a week for a little bit. It's a stressful time, things to do, stuff to sort out. Thank you all very much, and I will be back again soon. Cheers. Bye-bye.